We've been working both through the online services and uh, in, back in person. We've been working through a series and we're up to week eight on church transformation. And uh, for some people, they, they may, we may think and look at it from the outside and say, why are we talking about this? But let me tell you, there's a real reason we're talking about this. is because for lack of vision, my people perish, right? So we can continue to put the vision before us. So we can continue to put... Uh, faith, hope and love before us, if we can continue to put what God is saying to us as a church and leading us forward, then we continue to stir up passion within the place and we can continue to stir enthusiasm and flair and zeal for the house of the Lord. And we don't lose our purpose. Right? It's very easy in, in today's day and age to just uh, be disillusioned and we're trying not to do that. So we, we, we're encouraging with, with certain things. So we're at week eight, but we're working through a seven series of shifts that we have been working towards as a church over a period of time and those shifts have been helpful in helping us unpack the way that uh, Jesus is calling us as a church. Uh, they come from a book written by Mark Connor for those who haven't been following or haven't been here or are new uh, and we're up to shift number five and it's basically this week we're looking at a ministry shift. But let's begin with this passage of scripture. It says... <clears throat> From as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 1 Peter 4 and verse 10. As each, that includes everybody in this room, as each of us have received a gift, use it to serve one another. Look at each other beside you and say, you're a one another. Now look at the person across the room who you haven't said good morning to yet and say good morning one another. There you go, right? You're each one another, amen? Good morning one another. <laughs> so just quickly, let's go back to the top scre uh, screen. Thanks, Rubes. And uh, so like I said, today we're going to do church transformation, shift number five, a ministry shift. But this is a quick recap for us. The first four to help us remember the journey so far. Shift number one was really uh, the discussion around a power shift. And it's, it's shifting in the understanding that we need to be a praying community. Not individuals praying for individual things, but praying and coming together for the purposes of God's expressed and manifold wisdom here and now. So uh, becoming a praying community is all about understanding that power comes from prayer, that unity comes from prayer, that the, the purposes and expression of God begin with the understanding that we are in relationship with God first. Amen? And then when we understand that and we, we prioritize that relationship, uh, we, we're able to see the community uh, continue to be blessed. The second shift uh, is, is a very powerful one that, Partners hand in hand with prayer. If you want a powerful church in witnessing, you need a prayerful church first and foremost. The second shift was a priority shift. We needed to understand that evangelism is our first and foremost call. We, we are to present the light of the gospel and Jesus Christ as the hope of the world first and foremost. And not be distracted by the other things that are going on, but understanding when we realize who we are in Jesus, we can talk about the things of Jesus to other people. Prayer, 
and evangelism working very hard together. And we, so we must prioritize becoming a soul-winning community. The third shift was a, a program shift, which, which really helped us unpack the, the, the need to be a caring community, reaching out to one another's needs within the church, making sure that we love God and we love one another. And as Jesus said in John 13, 35, they will know you by, they will know you are my disciples by your love. Okay, so your love one for another helps us reveal Jesus to those who are seeking something beyond this world. So becoming a caring community helps us unpack really what is our vision and value statement, a united church founded on grace and truth, seeing the outworking of faith, hope and love. That's the, the ultimate expression really of this shift. The fourth shift, uh, which was only a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, three, two Sundays ago I think it was, we had a, a leadership shift. Understanding that ministers are called to be equippers. So your leadership are called to equip what? Who? The saints for the work of ministry. Ephesians chapter 4. And, and we put this little diagram up. Our mandate is really discipleship. Discipling people, which means gathering people. We're not called to make converts. We're called to make disciples. Amen? People who will uh, fashion their life after Jesus and follow Jesus and reveal Jesus to the world. How do they do that? We gather, we motivate, we train, we mobilize, and we continue the pattern and cycle. So there's some big shifts, shifting gear there is the picture. They're the four shifts that we've currently worked through, and, uh, and I'm really excited about today's, because today's links in very well with our value of service as a church. Okay, It's one of our strengths and values that we focus on is the value of service, and that's ultimately what the ministry shift is about. Let's stand to our feet quickly as we open in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your spirit. We welcome both in our lives today. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would teach our hearts and our minds. We pray for soft hearts and sharp minds. Lord, speak to us as we are encouraged together as a team and a church in unity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I find your seats. Thank you. So as I said, our last shift was around leadership. And uh, it was that one shift that focuses and helps us understand that ministers are to become equippers. Okay? It can be stated that in our church, everyone is a minister and the role of leadership is to equip each person for effective ministry. Um, the full body of ministry, the full body of the believers are called to ministry. Do you understand? We've been talking about that for years and years, and this is the reasons why. In, in opening up this passage, or this, uh, this topic, sorry, Mark Connor began this topic with this introduction to his book. Let me read it to you. It says, Today's strategic shift, one which shifted, uh, sorry, a ministry shift requires each Christian to shift their focus from being a consumer to becoming a contributor in the kingdom of God. Only as each Christian gets actively involved will we see the change necessary for the church to become a force in the world. I believe that people are looking for significance in life and this is found by giving their lives to a cause beyond themselves. 
God has a vision, a dream, and a destiny, a destiny for each individual person, and this includes a significant contribution to the local church. The first Reformation put the Bible back in the hands of believers, but it didn't go far enough. It's time for the second Reformation, where the work of ministry is returned to every believer. So in a nutshell, you may have heard me say it once before, but really it simply means the clergy and laity concept, the divide that that can create, is, is no longer present. And, and that's a very important statement, because if we get, have the belief that each person is called to ministry... And each person is called to lead firstly themselves and then possibly others. What we're saying is that even leadership is on the equal level of that. Because it's not linked to an individual or to an ability. It's linked to a calling of God. And we're all called to serve in a capacity or one capacity or another. So from that equal basis, that standing that there is no divide, there is no tears, there is nothing like that, that it's first and foremost founded upon the relationship we have in Christ, that, that common ground, the rest is formed about the call of God, the gifts of God, the talents of God and how we move forward there. And the easiest and simplest way for us to express this is that God wants you and I on his team. Okay, so the concept of team we really, really understand in Australia uh, because we, we don't mind our sporting um, uh, triumphs, amen? Uh, go Penrith last week for those that watched, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, we, we do understand the ability of a team. When you came to believe in Jesus, when you came to see that Jesus was the Son of God, when you came to understand that Jesus by his sacrifice, put himself in your place, bearing your punishment, taking upon himself your sin. When you, when you see this and you come to the faith that he, his sacrifice was perfect and that, that in believing in him, your sin is taken away and you are credited righteousness. When you, when you come to understand that, that's salvation. But salvation is not separate from lordship right we understand that we are brothers of jesus absolutely or we're sisters of jesus but ultimately the relationship begins with jesus be my lord amen so what that is is a statement to say jesus be my captain jesus be my manager jesus be the owner of the team so when you when you when you step into this relationship with Jesus, what you're saying is you're joining Team Jesus. The team expresses what it is, but the name Jesus expresses who owns it, who it belongs to, who manages it, who has authority in it, who is the power by which you are able to provide the team atmosphere. Which means he's the captain, he's the coach, he's the manager, he's the, he's the be-all, the end-all, and... And how amazing is it that we get to be a part of that? I think that's a wonderful picture. But you see, while you belong to Team Jesus, what, is, what, is, what comes with that 
is the call to minister the gospel of the kingdom, which is the purpose of the team. But it's also not just the call to do it. He provides the empowerment to do it because he supplies the Holy Spirit, amen, who gives us the grace to do something we couldn't do before. And I think Micah started with Colossians 1 as he opened the meeting today. He did definitely in the first service. But in the, in the proclamation of Christ and him being the head, what we're seeing is that Jesus not only empowers us to, for salvation, he empowers us to compete on the team as a servant and a son and a daughter First one is he positions us as a team member, as a daughter and a son of God, and he then empowers us to achieve the purpose of the team. Amen? So, so what that says is we shouldn't all be individuals when we're called to a team. Amen? Um, how do I know this? Well, for starters, this call to the disciples really reveals Jesus' heart. In, in Matthew chapter 4, 18 to 20, it says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 21 says, And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James and the son, of Zeb the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. So while it doesn't say it, he would have possibly said the same thing. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Because he's talking to fishermen, correct? Every, every person asks the age-old question. If you haven't asked these questions yet, it's possibly because your life is too busy. Busy pursuing uh, education, for example, and busy pursuing a career, and busy pursuing family, and all of the good things that we're asked to be pursuing in life. I would encourage you to take a moment, maybe a couple of days, and just quieten your spirit before the Lord. And what genuinely happens is you start to ask two very significant questions. The first question most people will ask is, who am I? And the second is, what on earth am I here for? Within those questions is the acknowledgement that, that we are something that we have a purpose that is greater than what we think. And we're acknowledging that someone brought us to this reality of time for a purpose greater than what we could ever imagine. And while I say most people would ask this question, I think without the distraction, we would all get there in the end. Because within, internally within us is built this concept, number one, that we're made for worship, and number two, that we're called to fulfill a particular purpose. Remembering worship links to service, okay? It's the same word. We've talked about that. 
within what I've already stated, I can simply say, first and foremost, who I am is I'm a son of the Most High God. You can answer that question very simply by unpacking and understanding who you are in Jesus and the, what he has provided for us, as Stanley was talking about, even in communion. We, we, can, we can unpack the power of the blood and the body, understanding that God gives me identity every time I, I partake of the blood and the bread of Christ. He's reaffirming that I'm his son and you're his daughter and son. Does that make sense? He's continuing to unpack that for us. So the question of who I am is answered in its entirety by discovering who Jesus has caused me to be. But the answer of what on earth am I here for, the purposes that I have been created for, Jesus also answers by giving us the commission, which is really you're called to fulfill the purposes of God and you've been called into his team and he has placed you into the body that you are for his purposes and his desires. That's the whole point of surrender, isn't it? It's the whole point of at the cross I bow my knee, the songs that we sing. It causes us to, to realize that the life I live is not my own. Because if I was to live my own life, I would be dead in my trespasses. But the life I live is now lived unto God who empowers me for what purpose? To be a light, to be conformed to Christ, to reveal him to a lost and dying world. So we understand that from those things, that ultimately the call to the fishermen was exactly the same. It was to give them identity and it was to give them purpose. You've been saved and set apart for individual brilliance. Is that correct? Or is that a false statement? Let me put it in, a, in its correct terminology. You have not been saved and set apart unto God for individual brilliance or an individual call. It's a big statement, isn't it? Because if we're walking around wondering what my individual call is, we miss the subtleties and the brilliance of God who has set us apart for his unique purposes within the constructs of his team. You were born into a team that is a worldwide church and you have been placed into a local body for an ideal team environment. And individual brilliance. I can remember being seven and eight years old playing soccer. I was never any good at soccer. Yet I can remember playing soccer and getting so frustrated because there was always that one person in the team who thought they were the best. And we can rattle off some names and they were, they were following them and wanting to be those kind of players. But what would eventually happen is there would be one individual brilliant player, star player who would Hog the ball. You know, you've all heard that terminology before. And the other 10 players would either miss out or they would be calling that person a hog. And it just, it's just not the right team atmosphere, is it? You can't have a team full of individuals. The best team is always a team that has brilliant players 
who are focused for the common goal. Amen? So I'm going to call you all brilliant players, team members, amen? Because that's what we all are, because I believe that's what God's made us to be. Why am I talking about team? Well, let us, let us unpack and help this a little bit. Do you realise God himself is a team? First and foremost. Which means he set the vision for that team. God, God in, his, in his uniqueness and his brilliance, of which you have been created in his image, by the way. Go back and read Genesis. God created everything you see, the, the wonders of the earth, whether you see it with your naked eye or the microscope, or if you use a telescope and look out into the glory of the heavens, an expanse that is continuing to grow each and every day, God's word spoke and it came into existence and is continually being expansive. That means God the Father had an idea. God the Son spoke as the word became and God the Holy Spirit caused it to open and expand and grow. It's seen in the very first passages of Genesis, God the three in one. God himself is a team. Jesus is a team player. Oh, but pastor, he came to earth alone and he went to the cross and did that all for me. But Jesus was fulfilling the vision of the Godhead. And as he left his divinity, subjected himself to humanity, was empowered by God himself as the Holy Spirit, with the fullness and uniqueness of God and became our sacrifice, our lamb, once and for all. Like, how amazing is that? So Jesus did not fulfill this on his own. He fulfilled this as a team member. Jesus called people to the ministry of the team, as seen in the passage uh, for example, Matthew sixteen eighteen, which we've touched on a few times in this series. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, which is a gathering of the called out, the, the, those set apart for God. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And yet there are individuals who are trying to battle the gates of hell without being a part of the body and the plans of Christ. Does that make sense? Like... It's a part of God's plan to be in his team. And this pattern continues today. Jesus completely builds his church by placing the members of the church into the appropriate bodies. And we have been called to be a partner with him in his team plan. Amen? It was God who decided to not do this on his own when it comes to the presentation of salvation. God can very simply turn up in a crowd of people, reveal himself, and there would be people who would choose God, bow down to him, and there would be people who would reject God. God could do that on his own, but has chosen to submit himself to his word, where he tells us that he partners with his church to be the revelation of Jesus to the world. God himself submits himself to the team environment. I think that's really profound because not only is he doing that, but he's empowering and he's equipping us to see that fulfilled. 
I think that's a very important thing to remember. Um, which tells us that God's in the recruiting business. Okay? Uh, he, he firstly recruits for position. It's called salvation. But ultimately, salvation is witnessed. It's seen in the life of Christ that brings a transformation in people's lives. And the best way to reveal that is in that submission to God's plans and the offering of your gifts and talents to Him in the place that He places us. While Jesus saves, we're not saved into individualism, but into a family that is unique to God. For a church to be functioning in full health, each member must fulfill their part to see the body built up. And we'll get into that a bit later on. But ultimately what this is called is ministry. So we're called to ministry, okay? What is ministry, to help us unpack that, is really the Greek word there, diakonos, which simply means one who serves. Now, we can all serve. We can all offer someone in need a glass of water. Okay? So, so service and ministry is not what a church has projected it to be. It is ultimately within the heart of each and every follower of Christ to serve the purposes of God. It's, it's our humanity that often... Um, it's our humanity that often clouds this. Ministry is not a special office, but rather a special function. Does that make sense? Serving another person is ultimately a special function that we've been called to do. It's simply an act of service given in Jesus' name. And this is part of capturing what the image of church as a team is all about. Jesus is not content with the church attenders or church members. Holy Spirit wants to stir us up so that we are actively involved in his ultimate work. God wants us to make use of our time, talents and resources, as it says up there, for the expansion of the kingdom on earth. What a great point. It is a great and wonderful opportunity to be a part of God's team. And I feel that if you've been in Christian circles for a long time, that I need to validate that in your life as simply as saying how amazing it is to know that God has chosen you, He has called you, He has equipped you, and He's cheering you on from the sideline. How amazing is that to know that God is on our team? I think it's an experience of joy and privilege to be co-builders with Jesus in his kingdom. The Bible teaches us a number of very important things concerning each Christian's role in the church of Christ. You can find these very simply by looking up Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, Romans 12, 1 to 2. They're all passages of scriptures we use a lot. 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13 and 14. They're great places to start to help us unpack these. And we look at a little bit of First uh, Corinthians 12 this morning. But as we unpack that, uh, five points to help us remember what this looks like to be a part of God's team. The first point is, very simply, you are part of the body of Christ. If you've called on the name of Jesus, if you've placed faith into him as 
in his completed work and you have asked him to be the Lord of your life, then ultimately you are part of the body of Christ. That's a global body. But let me tell you, Jesus plants the members in a local church. The Romans uh, 12, 5, I'll touch that. It says, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individual members, one of another. 1 Corinthians 12, as I said before, 27, says pretty much the same thing. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. I think that's you know, it's written twice. It's very clear. God places his people in the body, just picking some, some verses out of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. Verse 18 says, But as it is, God arranges the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. 1 Corinthians 12.24 Which our more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honour to the part that lacked it. Isn't this the wisdom of God for a moment? Thank God we wear clothing. Like, I'm happy that I have to wear clothing. All right? Thank God for your sake that I'm wearing clothing. The reason we wear clothing is that we remain modest. Is that right? There are parts that I can present and there are parts that I can't present. I, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Within the body, just, we'll just keep it in the local context, the local church for a moment. Within the body, people can come in at all stages and walks of life, at all different levels of maturity and immaturity. People can come into the church. Some may be more mature. Some may not be. Some may be more modest, others may not be. You know what I mean? And some need a little bit more love and care and a little bit more covering up with some fig leaves, for example. But in fact, the Bible tells us that those actually receive more honor. Don't they? Doesn't it? So, so we shouldn't look at people coming in at, with different levels of We'll just say we shouldn't look at immature Christians coming in, judging them because of their state or status and the actions that they have. You lead someone to Jesus and they come into the church and they're still swearing. Like, we just be a little bit more modest and we cover that up and help them unpack that. You know what I mean? Because, because in fact, Jesus is championing them on because they're amazing and need a little bit more honor than sometimes people give them. I think that's just the wisdom of God. It does our head in this, in our human thinking. You know why? Because we, we want everything to be proper and perfect and nice. But ultimately, the body shows us that every member is a part, every member is required, and every member is needed to move forward. And sometimes we've got to keep a little bit more modest in some of those as it's being developed. Amen? So I think that's just the wisdom of God. Verse 28 says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. So this is not an exhaustive list, and it's definitely really, it just shows that there's a bit of an order, but in the end, everyone has an opportunity <clears throat> to contribute. Excuse me. I think... The ultimate statement there is it's wise to accept God's choosing and being content in what God chooses. Hallelujah. Like, God is sovereign in all of this. 
if he places us in the body of Christ, then we've got to accept that we are to be a part of a functioning body. Amen? So, the place that God has put you, the local church that God has put you in, <clears throat> is beneficial to you and I twofold. The first is, <clears throat> it is with those who can most help you. The church that God has placed you in is a church that has members that can most assist you. The second, <clears throat> excuse me, is not as um, individualistic. It's in fact the revealer of whether or not you're part of the team. And it's in the place that you can contribute and help others. Does that make sense? Like, understand as a baby Christian, you need tender care and love and support and feeding and nourishing. But the purpose of growing up of that is so that you can give the same to those later on who are in the same need. Or your story is enough to help someone else with the same struggle. And if you would just share your story and how God's delivered you out of that trouble, how that would, how that would spark a, 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 a statement of faith in them to believe that if God could do it for you, then he could definitely do it for me. And you could pray with them and release that portion of faith into their life this is what the church body is that we can complement one another no matter what level of maturity we are each breakthrough is a breakthrough that can be celebrated in giving glory to God Amen. and as we are being helped how remarkable is it to know that we can help others and that tells me that there are no unnecessary members or unimportant members Number two, um, to help us here. Number two, you have been given a spiritual gift. I think that's a very great statement. You've not only been given a spiritual gift, God has created you uniquely. God has given you uh, inherent motivations in your life. God has, has placed within you personalities that are unique to you. How crazy is I was only talking to one of our, our brothers in Christ just on the phone. How crazy is it? That there, there is no one else like you on this planet. More than 7 billion people in this world and those that have gone before us and there is not one like you. How amazing, how vast is the knowledge of our God. And, and yet, he tells us that he has given us a spiritual gift. First Peter 4.10, I opened with this morning. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You've been given this gift to serve other people so that the church may be built. Everyone has at least one gift. As it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 17, that would be backward, should be the other way around, I think, 7 to 11, one on there. Um, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Then he gives us not an exhaustive list, he just gives us a list of spiritual gifts. He says, for the one, or to one is given through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the same the one spirit to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to 
another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. That's both good and bad, by the way. Don't just think it's about distinguishing between bad spirits, all right? To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. And then verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he will. Each one. We're all part of the each one. We're all part of the one another's. Amen? Do we need to do the whole hello one another again? Or do we understand what I'm saying? We're all part of the one another. <clears throat> it's a conversation for another time, but ultimately to answer the question, what on earth am I here for? We've got to unpack sometimes what our motivations are and we've got to unpack what our giftings are and we've got to test because I believe actually all of those gifts are available to all who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. They don't belong necessarily individually to you, but there are other gifts that do because they're inherently being given to you at salvation. So as we unpack that and open that up in later times, understand that God has called you for a unique purpose, not just in the world, but also in his church. And actually begins here first and then expresses out there. <clears throat> Number three. Have you, uh, you have a special or even this word specific job, okay? You have a special or specific job to do. Not only is every Christian a part of the body of Christ with unique spiritual gifts, we also have a special function or a specific function, a task to complete and a job to do based on the gifts we have. It is like the parts of our physical body. Imagine walking around with no eyes, or eyes that refuse to work, hands that refuse to reach for a cup of water, feet that refuse to go and take the gospel to other people, arms that refuse to put around another person who is hurting and in need of love and care and support and compassion. Like every member of the body is important. And every member of the body needs to be functioning for a healthy body. Amen? So, this really comes down to the encouragement to all to be involved. You don't need a special position or a title to get involved. I want I'll Make sure you hear that. You don't need a special position. You don't need a special title. Uh, I remember Mrs. Lockridge, Margaret, years ago... Uh, taking a communion message and I loved it. It stuck with me forever because she was talking about how the church in Australia at times, in particular the church in Griffith, can be like the church in Corinth. And uh, I just loved how she brought this out because she, she brought this list of very long Greek words. You know, the Greek uh, language can be extremely long and she, she, she would read these Greek words and you'd be like, gee, that sounds important. Because you think... If you give this really long title to something, that person that holds that office is going to be extremely important. This long, the longest one meant that it was the person who opened the window. So the early church, what they did was they gave titles in Corinth to help people understand that they were important. Okay, Don't, don't, don't misconstrue that with the fact that your title doesn't make you important. What makes you important is that you're called and loved by God, first and foremost. Okay, And your function doesn't make you important, but, but what does uh, reveal the heart of God in you is that your function reveals your, 
your individual life to serve God and reveal God in that way. And you don't need a title to do that, amen? The title of son and daughter should be enough, in my view. It's the one I continue to go run on. It's the one I can't wait to stand before Jesus um, and hear that. Well done, good and faithful servant. But what I hear in my head is, well done, good and faithful son, first and foremost. I love that about God. So you have a special job, a special function. And we have to understand, God's not looking at your ability, he's looking at your availability, first and foremost. You might have all the ability in the world, but if your heart is closed off to the things of God, you'll never see your full potential. But yet those who show they're fervently in love with God and they make themselves available tend to be the most uh, fulfilled people when it comes to people in church life. So it, to help us bring this about and understand what that specific job revolves around, it's not the pulpit, it's not the platform, it's not the... It's not the playing of instruments. It's, it, it, it's not even the function of cleaning the toilet, right? It's not about that. First and foremost, God's heart and focus is people. So ministry must begin with a focus on helping other people through giving, sharing, loving, encouraging, and ministering, which is serving. Anything you do for another person in the name of Jesus is you showing your capacity to serve which is to minister. Jesus had all the gifts and all the ministries available to him. He's the only person ever to walk history that had it all available at any moment of time. Okay? But he makes that available to us by the empowering of his Holy Spirit. He had all the gifts and all the ministries that were available. But look at what he said to us. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This was the thing that was challenged in Jesus' humanity. Jesus had everything at his fingertips, so much so that the devil could tempt him by a simple bowing down. He could escape the judgment of the cross, and he could be given all of the kingdoms of the world, which was going to be his anyway. So in dealing with his humanity, what we see is his ability and humility to serve. So he humbles himself before God, and then at the cross he does the same thing. He humbles himself before God in serving the purposes of God so that you and I could be the benefactors of his sacrifice. That's an amazing thing, that he would give his life as a ransom for many. Amen? So serving is really at the very heart of Christianity and is really at the very heart of Christ-likeness. We want to grow up to be like Jesus. It comes down to we want to be ministry gifts like him. We want to be ministering and serving those people that God has called us to serve. The fourth one, I think I'm getting through this quick enough. The fourth one is the growth of the body is dependent on your contribution. While Jesus builds the church to see it continually grow and expand, it, it actually, he, he encourages us to be involved. The church is incomplete and ineffective without everyone's gifts in place. 
The body only grows as each member contributes by doing their work. If, if one foot was chopped off, the body has to hop. If one arm is severed, the body is armless and that effect of that arm is limited, of the body is limited now because of the one arm instead of two. Understanding that principle just very simply from that picture helps us understand that for a healthy, growing body, the members must be functioning equally. So Ephesians 4, 15 to 16 uh, helps us sort of unpack this a little bit. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Building each other up, building the body up in love as we surrender ourselves to the head that is Christ. The body can either struggle or benefit based upon the attitudes of the individual members within. Isn't that powerful? If we, if we can't uh, ratify in our mind that God has not only called us, empowered us and released us to see his glory and his expansive kingdom grow, then we'll always be downtrodden and backward. But if we understand that how God has called us to be his children and then from that perspective to minister his goodness in the world, we quickly get onto that trajectory of growth and the body becomes all that she's called to be. simple picture for us to understand. We all love Christmas, right? Not too far away, but we all love Christmas. Uh, we love the movies that, that show, you know, the American white Christmas and all the glitz and the glam of this amazing Christmas tree and tinsel everywhere. Like, I, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. But you know what? I'm, you're getting the image in your head, how beautiful and splendid and it is. And, and now just look down under the Christmas tree and how wonderfully wrapped presents are around it, how beautifully uh, gift wrapped they are. And, and just, just imagine you've got 10 gifts under the tree. I know it's a bit extravagant, right? But Jesus talked about the, the talents, okay? 10, 5, and, and 1, or 3, or 2, or however many it was. It, just think that under that tree, there are 10 gifts with your name on it. There are other gifts as well, but there are 10 specifically with your name on it. Would it not be a tragedy if you chose not to unwrap those gifts. Yeah? Number one, you wouldn't find the joy and fulfillment that sometimes those things can bring into your life. You rob the giver of those gifts, the joy and fulfillment in watching you smile and laugh and use those things. But what if Un, not unwrapping those gifts, what if it communicates to the parent, for example, in this, that you don't love the effort that they put in and you don't, uh, you don't appreciate what they've done and, you don't, and, and in fact there's disdain because here are these gifts that are freely yours. Like, imagine what God feels in that moment as your dad, as we sit and we don't unpack the wonder and miracle that Jesus is and who he's called us to be. 
I, I look out and, and, and I just see each and every one of you wrapped beautifully like that. And Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, is unwrapping that in your life. And how much more important is it that we would apply those things he's showing and revealing us for his benefit as the kingdom of God grows through us as a body in Christ. So your growth or the growth of the body is dependent upon your contribution of your gift. We all bring our gift to the house and to the body and we all reveal the glory of God together. The last point is this. God sees what you can become, not just what you are now. I love that about God. God sees who you are, future tense, not what you are sitting there now. What did Jesus say to the first four disciples he called in Matthew 4? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So follow me and I will make you. The call is not just that I will save you. The call is that I will cause you to do something for my glory. So when you surrender to Jesus, it's like, it's like you're saying, Jesus, make me all you want me to be. Make me all that you see me as I am. Like what, that which you have dealt with, I'm no longer known by my past, but I'm known by what I am now, and I'm known by what you've called me to be in the future. Make me that which you see. That's the importance of the prophetic word. Now, while I state that, the importance of you as the individual is to unpack that word with God, with the Holy Spirit, with the Word of God. And you have the right to either uh, accept that and pray into that and partner with that, or you have the right to reject that and give that back to the person that gave you that Word. And sometimes you've got to do that because it's nothing to do with what God's called you to do. And that's okay. But understand that God has a vision of your life that is so much greater than the vision that you even have right now. So much more. I like what John Maxwell writes there. Man surveys the crowd and elevates it by what they were, the past, and what they are, the present. God surveys the crowd and evaluates it by what they are, the present, and what they can become, the future. Notice how God doesn't look at your past? Because it's dealt with by Jesus. When Jesus called the disciples... Jesus saw not just what they were, fishermen, but he called them and empowered them to what they could become, fishers of men. He took a ragtag bunch of people that turned the world upside down. Power of the gospel. Amen. Jesus called them from where they were and gave them hope and a vision to do something significant for God. Look at it. Peter. <clears throat> The name means a stone, a small stone. He's an original name, Simon. And then, oh, sorry, it was a, a reed that would bend, okay? And bend with this or with that. But he called him Peter. And he says, upon this rock, upon this rock. So Peter eventually becomes the rock, eventually becoming a pillar of faith and a foundational leader in the early church. Someone who was bending and swaying like the reed and you saw that as he rejected Christ, as, as the rooster crowed in the sense of denying him, and then Jesus restoring him. He eventually became what Jesus saw, and he became that pillar in the early church. How phenomenal is that? History is filled with so many people that you can be encouraged 
by as you read their testimony or see their story and see that God took them not based upon the mistakes of their past, but he took them on their humility to repent and receive Christ and then elevate them into his calling and what he saw of them. And he does the same with you and I. Which tells me that God is committed to helping you succeed. You might think, I can't do that, Steve. I, I can't do that. Um, I, I've tried, I've tried to no avail. But it's God who's committed to helping you become his image of you. In the calling to become fishers of men, God then draws out what is unique in them. Holy Spirit wants to do this within you. What God has put within you, he will draw out, providing that you seek first his kingdom. You are his workmanship. As a committed team member, he will spend time with you to help you find your place to be the very best you can be. Notice how none of this, well, I'm hoping none of this is coming across that it's about your effort. Understand that? Because it's not about how much effort you put in. It starts with position and sitting in the presence of God. And it's from that you grow. It doesn't mean that you won't have to put effort in. Like I didn't get to where I am today in my Christian walk in following the purposes of God without effort. Like don't get that wrong. But understand it's not effort first. Amen? God is committed to helping you succeed. And we can put this in the perspective of the last shift and this shift together. While leaders are called to equip and release, <clears throat> what does that mean? It's our job as leaders to help you become effective ministers. It is the calling that cannot happen unless the church body surrenders to the purpose of God and his call. We can't see that happen unless individual members open their heart up and say, God, I am yours, my life belongs to you, make of it what you will. Turn my mourning into gladness. Shift my story so that it would be a remarkable one for you. What an important thing to remember. <clears throat> Leaders can gather, motivate, train and mobilise those who want to serve. What a joy and privilege it becomes when we are able to mobilise those who want to passionately serve Jesus, fervent in faith to reveal his goodness everywhere. I think that's a perfect image of church life as the kingdom of God expanses, expands into the area around it. This is our fin finishing and final things. Five small action points if you're looking for ideas of how to outwork this. Number one, what areas of ministry in our church need volunteer help? And you can simply just make yourself available. Just look around and you'll see. And just when you walk into church, this, I think this is a, an important step that most people miss. Walk into church before you get to the door and say, God, how do you want to use me today to build your church? I think it's a huge step that most people make. And what it, what it does is it means if, if we haven't set that right, we see individualism all the time because it's about what I can get out of church. And I started with that concept, remember? We need to move from 
consumers for contributors. The way we do that is we, before we even come to church, we're like, God, Jesus, I am yours. How do you want to use me today? And it might be, make a cup of coffee for someone. It might be you see a mess, you just quickly jump in and clean it up. It could be you see someone crying, you can just sit around them, put your arm around them and pray with them. You see what I mean? That's the church being the church. You can see a need and just, just jump in and, and talk to, uh, say for example, it was maybe one of the ministries with the children. You know, you can't necessarily just do that because of our silly, not, I won't say that, because of the restrictions around that. But we, we know that we can talk to the appropriate people who are running those ministries and say, I've got a real passion for kids. How do I get involved? Does that make sense? Like, understand that. Take Number two, take a spiritual motivation gift questionnaire and even a personality test to discover unique God-given abilities. Our young adults do that quite well all the time, looking for ways that they can unpack that and help people understand that uniqueness in God. And, you know, that can happen all the time. Uh, there was a, uh, a good study, I believe, done by Rick Warren's church called Shape, uh, Understanding Your Shape for Ministry. And the, sh the word shape was an acronym. That's a good study you can do as a grow group. Unpack that, that one. And what you do is through that you find your unique shape and, and it just the lights come on. You're like, wow, I can help in this area. Okay. Uh, that's a good one. Number three, ask a church leader or a close friend. Doesn't matter who. You just need to trust them, all right, to give you some feedback as to what they see are your strength and future ministry potential. You're not asking for your weaknesses, all right? Let the Holy Spirit deal on your weaknesses. But you're asking to highlight your strength that you can push into those areas uh, with humility. Number four, think about what you enjoy doing or what areas of ministry interests you. So think about that. Pray about it. Ask God to reveal that to you. Talk to someone who is active in these areas and learn all you can, can about this area of ministry. And number five, which that relates obviously to number one as well. Number five, cultivate a servant attitude every day, not just on Sundays. How can you serve in your workplace? How can you serve in your home? How can you serve in, um, in your everyday life? Because it's not just in the church, it's everywhere. Make it your aim to help every person you come in contact with. And I know that sounds hard, and it sounds uh, a little bit ridiculous sometimes, but be like, be like the Good Samaritan who went across the road and helped the person in need. You know, you might not you might not be you might not have the means to help every person and that's all right. But you have the means to be kind to every person, to be loving, to share the love of Jesus with them. And and that's the heart of servanthood. You you choose to serve and when you choose to serve you develop something that becomes uh, attractional you know that? You might be thinking, wow, Jamie shared a bang-on message last week about the gospel. And you might be thinking, in shift number two, we talked about missions and, and getting out and sharing the gospel. And you might look at that and you might think, well, that sounds like a lot of work and I can't do that because it seems hard. But what you can do is start by serving people with water. What you can do is create a meal for someone and drop it around to them that's in difficult need. What you can do is, is help the person at work who's, who's crying over whatever it is. And you can help them and you can say, do you mind if I pray with you? Like, 
do the things that you can, and all of a sudden conversations open up, and they'll be like, why are you different? And then you get to talk about your passion. Do you know what I mean? Like, Either you're passionate for Jesus, for what he's done for you, or you're not. And what will help you unpack your passion is service. can't say it any clearer than that, amen? Let's stand to our feet. Um, we're finishing with a song, aren't we? Let's, let's call the band up. I'm going to pray for you a blessing. And uh, I'm praying that this doesn't just settle well within your heart, but you understand the concept that you're part of God's team, amen? You're part of what God is doing in this earth through his church. And you're called to reveal the church of Jesus, or you're actually called to reveal Jesus as the hope of the world. Amen? So let's pray for that as uh, Reuben gets himself set, and I'm going to pray a blessing over you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we have been called to your team. You are the leader. You are the head. What you say is empowering for us. But Lord, we thank you that it stirs us in a point and in a place to say yes to you. Thank you that you make it simple. Give each and every one of us a heart to serve, a willingness to say yes, and a desire to say, today's the day. I want to serve you each and every day of my life. I give over and surrender myself to you because your picture of me is so much greater than my picture of me. So I relinquish individualism, I relinquish the desire to find out what is my unique call in that sense of that I can go out there and do great things for God. But Lord, humble us. Help us to see your plan and your pattern. Help us to see, even in the book of Acts, Stephen and Philip, how beautiful it was that they would serve tables, look for the opportunities to pray, and then one stand as the first and mightiest martyr of them all and the other would be released into miracle working power that would see cities saved Jesus it began in the house as they served you with fervent hearts may we serve you the same thank you for helping us realize it's about people because your heart is about people when we serve, Lord, I ask by your spirit, you would help us to do so with a glad heart, a smile on our faces, and with love in our arms. Bless our church, bless our body today. Empower us to live a life like Christ. And we worship you, not just in song, but with our entire being. May your name be blessed. May Jesus be banner over this city and may you draw all men. We ask this in